This audio is from King's Cross Church in Independence, Missouri. For more information or to donate to this ministry, visit kingscrosskc.com. This morning's scripture is from John chapter 7, verses 32 through 52, and it can be found on page 893 in the black hardback Bible in the pew in front of you. The Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things about him, and the chief priests and Pharisees sent officers to arrest him. Jesus then said, I will be with you a little longer, and then I am going to be going to him who sent me. You will seek me, and you will not find me. Where I am, you cannot come. The Jews said to one another, Where does this man intend to go that we will not find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What does he mean by saying, you will seek me and you will not find me, and where I am you cannot come? On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the spirit whom those who who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. When they heard these words, some of the people said, This really is the prophet. Others said, This is the Christ. But some said, Is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So there was a division among among the people over him. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. The officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, Why did you not bring him? The officers answered, No one ever spoke like this man. The Pharisees answered him, Have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. Nicodemus, who had gone to him before and who was one of them, said to them, Does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? They replied, Are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. This is the word of the Lord. Um, Good morning, y'all. My name is Howard Peñate. I am one of the, or the pastoral resident here at King's Cross Church. It is a pleasure for us to be here, or for me to be here to talk to you today about the good news of who Jesus is. And if you've been with us, we've been actually going through our sermon series called, Who is This Jesus? Who is this Jesus? And today we're in John's gospel. Again, we're looking at this beautiful reminder of Jesus just introducing this life and this hope over and over again. Even though he's facing opposition, as there are times when we as preachers prepare every week and we try to think of illustrations and stories that communicate the point of the story to the text so we can kind of like mend and and mesh together the story so you can kind of get a visual. And as I struggled this week to try to get some kind of illustration down, as I was sitting there, the Lord was reminding me of something beautiful. When the Lord first saved me, he had given me a zeal to go one to preach the gospel. And we would go to the streets of downtown Houston in front of the bars and nightclubs and just go throughout the city and proclaim the gospel of Jesus. And there would be times where we would proclaim the gospel of Jesus and people would openly say, hey man, we don't want you preaching that message here. That's a message of hate. It's not a message of love. 
people directly oppose the message of the good news of Jesus. And as I was sitting there, the Lord was reminding me that I would go out there with this group of guys, um, a good friend of mine, who this week, his mom passed away. And I remember being at their dinner table, strategizing how we would go and evangelize and share the good news of Jesus. But what does that have to do with this text today? Well, a lot. Because, see, Jesus is going to proclaim and say and make this open invitation to everybody there that if anyone thirsts to come and drink, in the face of opposition, Jesus proclaims this invitation to his enemies. And some will listen and some won't. So as we look at this text today, we're going to see three things. We're going to see that Jesus, again, is facing opposition. That Jesus makes an open invitation for all. And lastly, we're going to see that I really believe John wants us to ask the question is, who is this Jesus? Do we really believe who Jesus says he is? Well, let's pray before we get started. You pray for me and I'll pray for you. So, Father, we come before you now this morning with hearts heavy, some hearts happy. The way we come in this room, Lord, you know exactly the motion and what we're feeling, what we're carrying. What we know we need today, Lord, is we need the daily bread. We know that your word says that man does not live on bread alone, but every word that comes out the mouth of God. So, Father, would you feed us? Would you allow us to feast on the word today? Would you nourish our souls where we, we hunger to know more of who you are? Would you quench our thirst this morning because we thirst to know the good news, the glorious truth of your word? Because it's your word that brings life. It's your word that Peter reminds us that, that you have the words of eternal life. Where else can we go? And we're here today, Lord, because we know the source. You are the source. You are our life. You are our everything. We don't want to be there unless you're moving here. So, Lord, we don't want to be anywhere else but here today because we know your spirit is amongst us, moving. So move mightily, Lord. We ask, we pray, we plead. Father, do this work. In Jesus' name, amen. So immediately we look at John's gospel, and I, I really believe that John is trying to show us something very important. And what we've seen over the last several weeks is this consistent opposition from these religious leaders. And now we get to this point in verse 32. It says, the Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things about him, and the chief priests sent officers to arrest him. What they had heard was, they heard verse 31, yet many people believed in him. They said, when the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? Their reaction into hearing what Jesus was doing, what Jesus was saying, what Jesus was teaching, Jesus healing on the Sabbath, Jesus performing all these different miracles, their reaction is to send out an arrest warrant. You want to talk about a hater being a hater, that is a guy, those are people that are hated. They want to, they want to arrest Jesus 
but they also want to kill Jesus. That should alarm us. Have you ever hated someone that you wanted to kill them? Don't answer, please. But they want Jesus dead. Because John, I believe, is showing us through the inspiration of the Spirit, the hardness and the blindness of these men. And Jesus even exposes it. Look at verse 33. Jesus then said, I will be with you a little longer. And then I'm going to him who sent me. You will seek me and you will not find me. Where I am, you cannot come. And the Jews said to one another, where does this man intend to go that we will not find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion amongst the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What does he mean by saying, you will seek me and you will not find me? And where I'm going, where I am, you cannot come. John is exposing, like, like the simple reading of this truth, John is showing us that they're spiritually blind. They can't see what Jesus has been doing. They want to continue to, uh, to oppose Jesus over and over again, and it reveals their callous hearts. It reveals their callous hearts that they're more married to the religion. They're blind to seeing the reality of who Jesus is. And I believe that John wants us to see this because what you have in this text is from verse 32 to 36, it's like this picture of, of these religious callous leaders. And in 37 through 39, you have this hope that's given. And then John switches again and, and, and begins to tell about the division amongst the people. But I'm getting ahead of myself. When we read this text... And we see that John is showing us these religious callous leaders who oppose the message of God. I truly believe that is a, a reminder and a message for our hearts today. That as we do the work of God, as we proclaim the truth of the gospel, as we tell people about the light that shines in the darkness, as we tell people that Jesus is the only way, we're going to experience opposition from people who are spiritually blind. But I really believe that the posture of our heart will determine how we see those people. Because if we shake our heads and we begin to look angrily at them and say, man, these foolish people, how could they miss Jesus? Family, let me tell you, if it wasn't for the mercy of God, you wouldn't see. If it wasn't for the mercy of God opening your eyes to experience the everlasting joy he's giving you to sing and proclaim the goodness and greatness of God, your lips would be sealed and your eyes would be blind. It should break our hearts to hear and see these people stuck in their brokenness. The posture of your heart will determine how you engage people who oppose the message of the gospel who oppose Jesus openly. Because you look at Jesus, how he dealt with opposition. He confronted them in love and mercy and grace. Even this proclamation is a mercy and grace, even to the Pharisees to hear. But what we see over and over again, in spite of 
the truth that Jesus gives them, we see their heart and heart. We see their heart and heart. And we see this beautiful in the middle section of like this, this, this glorious truth that Jesus gives. He gives this open invitation. Even to these, these callous religious leaders, he opens up the invitation and he says this at the very climax, at the very apex, at the very zenith of the festival. He says these words, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. I want us to notice something. There are many stories that John could use, but inspired by the Holy Spirit, God gives John these words to pen down specifically. And I begin to ask myself, well, why does Jesus share these words about drinking water? What's so important about drinking water? Well, we have to understand, first of all, the historical context of this. This festival was a festival that would happen for many days, for about seven days. And in this festival, at the end of each day, they would get a golden vessel, probably a golden cup, and they would go to this pool of Siloam, and they would gather water, the priest would. And he would take that water and he would pour it out on the altar, symbolically representing that God is the one who provided water for his people in the desert. This celebration was a reminder of the provision that supernaturally God provided food, water, shelter, and even protection in the desert. So this is happening, this festival is happening, and Jesus chooses to stand up Contrary to rabbinical teaching where they would sit down and teach, he stands up and he speaks. He does everything countercultural. And he proclaims these words. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Jesus is making it very clear that the invitation is open. It's for the weary, for the tired, for the dying. People who live in the desert don't have a lot. Water is scarce. And God's people experience 40 years of being in that desert. They experience 40 years of watching God, like, like, do you read those stories? And then, like, do they, do, do they, do they, like, capture your, your mind's eye? Like, do you have, like, this picture of, like, God doing this stuff? Let me give you an example of what I'm saying. The idea that God had told Moses to strike a rock and water comes out of the rock. Like, like, logically thinking, can water come from a rock? I mean... I'm not a scientist or I don't know, what, what would you call that? I don't know what you call that. I don't even know what that is. But the point is, is that like, that doesn't make sense. Am I right? 
Like, how weird would it be if I put a rock right here, I mean, like, like two feet tall, and I put it right in the center, and I get, a, I get this mic, and I strike it, and water starts to come out, and it feels and floods this room with water. How amazed would you be? Would you be amazed? I would be amazed. I'd be like, how did I do that? <laughs> and God's people saw that. Enough water that, 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 that gave enough water for millions of people who walked in the desert. For livestock, supernaturally providing. God's people, as they celebrated this festival, they would have heard stories from probably their grandparents. You know how your grandparents say, back in my day, you know, we used to do this, we used to do that. I talk to my kids all the time, like, back in my day, y'all don't know what the struggle is. We didn't have the internet, you know, we didn't have access to the stuff you guys have access to. I can imagine there would have been, like, grandparents sharing stories at that festival, celebrating God's goodness. And be like, I remember when my grandpa told me this, my grandma told me that. It was to highlight and commemorate the provision of God supernaturally. And this is what Jesus chooses to use as his illustration to communicate this point. He is the source of spiritual life. He is the source of spiritual life. He is the source of spiritual life, and no one can satisfy like Jesus can satisfy. They went and they did this festival every year, and listen to this. They would sing this song at this festival, for those who love to sing. The song was called, With Joy You Will Draw Water from the Wells of Salvation, according to Isaiah 12, verse 3. Jesus stands up and he makes this declaration for this very purpose, not just to illustrate the importance of water, but that people would see that he is the water, that he is the living water that can satisfy your soul. One author says this, and I love how he says it. It is so real. It's so real. He says this, after digging a thousand wells of my own, and stumbling upon others dug by the hands of thirsty men, I have yet to realize that the only one that can satiate every thirst is, the one, is, is that one man that will never dig. Listen to me, family. We try digging our own wells of life. We try to find satisfaction in the things that we do. We look for all these different things and we, we make our plans to, to, to get closer to God and, and we dig and we think we're getting closer to God, but we feel empty and we feel dry and some of us feel that way at times in our faith. I've had enough conversations with enough of you guys in the room that I know and I know because I go through those seasons myself. Those wells, let me tell you what they look like, some not so abstract. Those wells that we try digging are the wells of recognition and honor, the wells of feeling accepted and love, the wells of being seen as a somebody, the well of trying to make people happy and people please, the well of trying to prove your worth to everybody, the well of trying to be a good enough husband, a 
father, a son or daughter, a wife. These wells are the things that we look to to feel like we're doing something, but we realize we're empty. And Jesus, he says it right here. He's telling you and I that, that if anyone thirsts, to come to him and to drink. There has never been a greater invitation because the reality is that we live in a wasteland. I want to submit to you guys to, to hear what I'm saying very clearly. I want to submit to you this, that this world that we live in is a wasteland. It's a desert. It promises hope. It promises life. But guess what? Those who, who of us who are a little bit older, we've already know. That life will disappoint and people will disappoint us. Am I right? Can I get an amen? That's right. If this world is a wasteland and it's a desert, then we need something to quench our souls. We need something to satisfy that no human being, no man can give you or I, not even me, speak anything. It is God's word and his Holy Spirit that can only bring life and satisfaction, that can not only quench your thirst, but notice what Jesus says, his words, not mine. Verse 38, whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Notice what he's saying. He's saying that if whoever believes, so you must be thirsty and you must believe. God gives us the desire to want to have this water and he gives us the belief to believe. But he says, whoever believes, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of water. Notice the terms that John is using here. He's saying that the heart will flow. He doesn't say it's going to stay static. That God will give you a pool of water. He wants us to know that God does something more than that. That the spirit of God, who's responsible for your change and your transformation to know God, he's going to do something that you and I cannot do. The source of our change, the source of our life comes in the form of a flowing river. Have you ever seen a river flow? Years ago, me and my family made our way to, um, to Nevada and we stopped at the Hoover Dam. And man, that is a sight to see. That is a big, I don't know, if, I don't think it's, is it a river? I don't know if it's a river. Whatever it is, it's a big body of water. And you see that water come out, man, that is wild. I like the fact that Will's laughing. Thank you, Will. But the reality is, is that seeing that immense body of water and just like flow out, it is wild to see. And I think what, what John wants us to understand is this. He wants us to understand that the spirit of God that lives and dwells in us, that convicts us of sin, that shows us that we've been trusting in these empty wells, that shows us that we're dry and we're parched because we're trusting in ourselves and we're not going to the source. Because here the promise is made that the spirit is the one who will give us this flowing river. And it's just not any flowing river. Notice what the text says. It is a river of living water. 
Why is that important? Because in the wasteland that we live, in the desert that we're in, we need living water to sustain us. The only reason why you continue to walk in step with Jesus is not because of your faithfulness. Ooh, that hurt, right? It's not because of your goodness. It got awfully quiet. Mm. It's because of this reason. It's because the Spirit of God sustains us. It's all the work of the Spirit of God. Those people, when they saw God provide water in the desert, they were amazed. Family, when you're able to fight sin, and you're able to overcome situations, and you're able to see God move miraculously and amazingly, it's to God be the credit. It is to God be the glory. Because at the end of the day, the person in charge of the work inside of us is the Spirit of God. Are y'all tracking with me? Okay, amen. So what we see here in this text is that Jesus is telling them that whoever thirsts, they come. So this is what I want to say to us today. This is the greatest invitation ever made. This is is the greatest invitation ever made for mankind. And the invitation is this. If anyone thirsts, come and drink. Come to him. Come to Jesus and know the path of life. Come to him and have your soul restored. Come to him and see him revive you. Come to him and see him sustain you and watch over you. Come to him and see him deliver you from your own fears, your own doubt, your own shame, your own guilt, your own sin. Come to him and experience the fullness of joy. Come to him. He will not abandon your soul to death or hell. You can come to him as you are with your baggage, with whatever it is that you have. You can come to him as you are. Come to him. Watch him transform your life. Watch him do something that no man can do. Come to him and experience the steadfast love of God that no man can satisfy, that no relationship can satisfy. Find the love of God in Christ Jesus. That's an unending love. And can I tell you how you can come? Can I? Yeah, can I tell you? You can come to him because he left the comforts of heaven. He laid aside everything, everything, the worship of angels, the worship and the glorification of all the hosts of heaven. 
and he stepped down into this darkness to be opposed by these religious leaders who consistently rejected him and hate him, who spat on him, who beat him, who murdered him. He came knowing those things for you to rescue you from your sin. You may ask, what can I offer God? Why would God want me? Isaiah 55 gives us an answer and a response to that question, which we should be asking. Isaiah 55 verse 1 says this. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. God is saying to you and to me, and the reminder what we can offer God is nothing. Come as you are. You don't have to get your life in order and say, man, I want to follow God when I got things just in the right place. I'm just not ready yet for that commitment. I don't know if I want to follow Jesus like that yet. I see those people. They're kind of like Bible lovers. I don't want to do that. I got my life to live. Listen to me. That's an empty well. That's an empty well. Nothing in this world will satisfy you. And you don't need me to tell you that. You've experienced it for yourself. You can offer nothing to God. One famous theologian, brother in the faith, once said, all you bring to God is your sin. What can you offer God is your sin. It's your brokenness. You bring nothing to God. And how can you be sure that God will have compassion and mercy and freely forgive you? How can you be sure that what I'm saying is true? Well, don't listen to me and what I have to say. Listen to what Jesus did for you. <laughs> the proof is in the pudding, as they say. The proof is that Jesus, not only do we proclaim that he came, the proof is, is that we see a historical person named Jesus of Nazareth who lived, who died, who was, who was persecuted under Pontius Pilate. who resurrected and over 500 witnesses viewed and saw Jesus. And not only do we speak of Jesus resurrecting, but he was around for 40 days and people saw him ascend into heaven. We know that Jesus is about forgiving people because that's what he came to do to reconcile broken people who thirst, who hunger to know God. And he offers it freely to you and I today. Do you thirst? Do you hunger to know God? Where are you in your faith right now? Where do you find yourself 
going over and over to God. What are you carrying in your heart? Are you going to the living water? Because it's been freely offered. It's been freely given. And today, only and only today, may you know this truth. Maybe tomorrow too, but I want to say this. Is that know that this living water is for you today. It's for tomorrow. For all your days. Maybe the reminder that you are reminded of on your deathbed. May it be the reminder that you are reminded of when you're in your worst trial or in the hardest trial of your life. That it's only Jesus that can satisfy you. I've had the hard opportunities to witness and share the gospel to people on not only their deathbeds, but the people who've experienced the great loss of losing a loved one, losing a child. This living water that Jesus speaks of is for every single person in this room who's experiencing life in different ways. And like, I want us to know that this is a truth you can hold on to the very end of your life, that Jesus will sustain you. He will sustain you. He will cause that living water to flow from your heart so that you would be satisfied. But let me say this as well. That water isn't just for you to drink. Notice that the text tells us that it is a living water. It flows out of our hearts. So out of the overflow of what God is doing in your life, what the Spirit of God presses on your heart, as today we even experienced already. Let me show you. When, when, when Pastor Trevor was singing that song, there was an overflow of the Spirit of God that led him to say, let's sing that part one more time. That is an active experience of the grace of God at work at that moment. Family, listen to me. God does the same thing in your life. Know that that living water that wells up in your soul, God lets you pray and intercede and you're pressed to call somebody to check up on them. Like that is the spirit of God, but is meant, this living water is not just meant for us. That's our Western thinking. We think messages about us. At the end of the day, this living water is meant to be poured out for others. So others may experience the grace. And let's, let's continue because we're short on time or maybe because I talk too much. Okay, verse 40. When they heard these words, some of the people said, this really is a prophet. Others said, this is the Christ. But some said, is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said that Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? 
So there was a division amongst the people over him. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. The officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees, who said to them, Why did you not bring him? And the officers answered, No one ever spoke like this man. And the Pharisees answered them, Have you also been deceived? Have any, have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does, that does not know the law is accursed. And Nicodemus who'd gone to him before and who was one of them said to them, does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? And they replied, are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. These verses could be summed up in this. These people had a theological view of God. They, they had their view of what they think God was teaching. And you had others who believed who Jesus was. Notice that Jesus is in Galilee teaching. Those who didn't know who he was, that he was from Bethlehem, or actually born in Bethlehem, could have easily found out by asking Jesus' mama. They could have asked Joseph too. They could have asked James. They could have asked his family. They could have asked around. Hey, is G was Jesus born in Galilee? But they don't. They don't ask. They assume. And I think John wants us to see something. Do not allow your theological views and your presuppositions lead and guide you. Allow the word of God and the testimony of his word to inform, instruct, teach, and rebuke and correct you if you don't know. It cannot be your view of who you think Jesus is. There's much more I could say about that, but I'm short on time. I'll finish with this. Who is Jesus to you? Do you thirst for true life? Do you believe in him as the Messiah and the giver of life? Do you believe that he alone can satisfy that quenching thirst in your soul, that longing that you've been longing to receive for such a long time? John has been showing us over and over again that Jesus is the fulfillment of the festivals. Jesus is the fulfillment of the promises of God. That Jesus is the Son of God, full of grace and truth. There is no other salvation that man can be saved by. He can only be saved by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Would you stand with me as I pray? Father, we thank you, Lord. We thank you that before the foundations of the world were ever created, you bestowed and set your love on us. 
Thank you, Father, that not only do you love us, but, but you remind us through your word that you have made an active living plan to not only save us, but to satisfy our souls. That that what we thirst for is not found in things, people, or places, or, or positions, or, or, or anything that we can look to, Lord, because all those things are just empty wells that are dry. Wells that we've dug ourselves and wells that we've fallen into because we believed a lie that we could be satisfied in those things. So, Father, I pray that would you lead our hearts to turn away, to turn away to repent of the things that we've been looking to, to find satisfaction. May you quench our souls and our hearts today. Because only you can produce that living water in our souls. And we thirst. We thirst to be made new, to be transformed, to be a people that worships you, Lord. You are truly worthy of it all. You're worthy, 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 worthy of all. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.